0: To the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host Ezra Byer.
1: Thank you all for tuning in to another weekly episode of the Monday Christian Podcast, where we help uh, regular, ordinary, everyday people turn Sunday belief into Monday action. And uh, for anyone that knows me, you know that I'm passionate about inner city ministry and uh, specifically reaching out to those who are uh, less fortunate and maybe gone through some hard times. And this week on the podcast, I have my, uh, I'll call my new friend, um, Reverend Bill Roscoe, and uh, he's the president and CEO of the Boise Rescue Mission. And Reverend Bill I believe that's how how you go. Bye. Um, That's good. Has been at the Boise Rescue Mission for 18 years and has had 30 years of rescue ministry. And he oversees just just a tremendous, how we call it, an army uh, of staff and volunteers who are seeking to restore faith, hope, and family across the Boise region. And if you live in this area, you know it's called the Treasure Valley. But for those of you that don't live here, uh, well, now you know. Uh, My wife and I have had the privilege of volunteering at the Nampa headquarters for uh, several months now. And uh, just I, we love what the Boise Rescue Mission is all about. And uh, I'll just pull this out real quick. I jumped on your LinkedIn profile just to check out your bio. And one of the things that you had written down, I love this. You say, you want to be a man of God, a man of integrity, courage, and honor, to be the best husband, father, grandpa, and friend to the folks God has brought into my life, to love and help people as much as is possible, and to never forget that but for the grace of God, go I. So, Reverend Bill, thank you so much for coming on the Monday Christian Podcast.
0: Well, thank you, Ezra. I'm glad to be your new friend.
1: <laughs> well, hey, let's just jump right into it. How did you first come to faith in Christ?
0: Well, it was a long time ago. I'm getting to be an old, old man now. But uh, I came uh, back from Vietnam. I'm an Army veteran, and I served in Vietnam. I'm a combat veteran. Uh, I came back from the war with a lot of baggage, uh, a lot of dysfunction. Today we would say I have PTSD, but in those days we just said Bill was a little crazy and he drank too much. Hmm. And uh, that's who I was, and I lived that way for the next uh, five years or so. And things got progressively worse for me, Uh, uh, while on the one hand I I tricked a beautiful girl to marry me. and uh, that's how we would describe that that, that today Uh, 48 years later i would say that but uh, she married me and we had two babies right away two little kids and i had a great job i was a union carpenter uh, making good money had had great work and uh, bought a house on the gi bill the dog the cat the truck the car you know things looked pretty good from the outside but on the inside things were bad and my dysfunction was uh, growing and becoming I was becoming more dysfunctional and drinking more. Uh, and so um, I read a book called The Exorcist, which at the time was, in, you know, in, in circulation. Yeah. And it really scared me. Uh, you know, I didn't have any trouble believing in the devil. I, I believed that there was a devil. I thought that I knew the devil, had seen the devil in action. and. Uh, we had two little kids that i just didn't want to see fall into the hands of the devil Hmm. and so my wife being formerly a a good catholic girl said well we need to get our kids baptized and then they'll be okay and i said great well my mother had uh, started going to church and this was quite late in her life that she rekindled faith in christ and started going to church so i called her up and told her what I wanted to do and she said, oh, call my minister, I'm sure he'll baptize your children. And I said, okay, so I called him. And uh, being the good evangelical that he was, he said, I'd love to come over and talk to you about that. <laughs> and so I said, okay, come on over. And so he did. And the long and the short of it is, after uh, four or five meetings with him in our home and and attending church a couple of times because he told us we should do that so we could get a look at the place you know, and see the folks, and the ceiling didn't fall on me when I walked in, so that was a good thing. Uh, anyways, I was struggling with the truth that he would told us about, and he wouldn't let us go. You know, every week he called and wanted to come over, and we I kept saying yes. I told my wife, call him and tell him don't come. And she said, you told him you, he could come. you got to call him and tell him he can't come. <laughs> and neither lot of us called him, so he came. And he brought with him the Gospel of John and was so kind. I couldn't believe what uh, he became one of my best friends in life. Uh, but he he uh, planted the seeds so that one evening after work all by myself, I prayed to receive Christ. And I, and I had an experience, I think I, I would say I had an experience with God that evening where I really felt his presence and I felt or heard a voice. And it said to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I didn't know where that, I know that verse today, but I didn't have any idea where that came from at the time. I just heard it Mm -hmm. in my head or in my heart. And I said, wow, God spoke to me, you know, it was pretty cool. So the next Wednesday, uh, next Sunday morning, we went to church and every Sunday morning, pastor gave an opportunity for testimonies before prayer or prayer requests. And so uh, when uh, the time uh, was to come, he skipped it, and he was going to move on. And so I just stood up and said, "Pastor, pastor," and I'm waving my hand at him. And I asked him later, "What did you think about that when you saw Bill Roscoe standing up in your congregation with my long hair and my crazy look, and wanting your attention?" And he's, in a, as the man of God that he was, he said. Well, Bill, I knew the Lord was going to do something with you, and I just had faith. <laughs> anyway, I said, I just want everybody to know that I accepted Christ last Wednesday night at home, and uh, I'm a Christian now. And the place went bonkers, and everybody had been praying for us. Uh, you know, they were such great folks. And so they took us in, and a week later, my wife accepted Christ. We had two little babies. I think they were, they were one and two at the time. And so from that point on, then uh, Jesus has been the center of our life, and uh, my kids and all of us, uh, you know, grew up together in the things of God. And uh, later on, I, I did a mission trip to Guatemala uh, where the Lord really called me to ministry, and uh, that, that lit the fire in my heart to, you know, be in, in full service, full-time service. And so, that church had a, a program for old guys, I was 26, uh, but old married guys like me at the time and, and we went into that program and I studied uh, working toward ordination and became an associate pastor at that church. Uh, and then the long and the short of it is that was 1976 and then through the 70s and 80s I got involved at the rescue mission as a volunteer. and. Uh, if you want to volunteer at the rescue mission, I invite you to come down, but you have to be careful. You might end up working there. (laughs) So that's what happened to me. And in 1991, uh, I accepted, I I was offered and accepted a position at the uh, Redwood Gospel Mission in Santa Rosa, California. And we uh, decided, held hands and jumped off the cliff and got into full-time ministry and have been there ever since.
1: Wow. It's, a, it's such a fascinating story and i didn't know that that early part that, that you shared and, and one of the things that i'm curious is a lot of people come to faith in christ through different ways right and initially was it more of your your fear of the power of satan or or your love for god that that motivated you towards god i'm just curious about that and, and as uh, you you inter-
0: totally yeah go ahead I was totally afraid, yeah, for my children, mm. you know, not for me as much as for my kids, and uh, and I and I was looking for help, you know, because mm. th- I realized that, that in the spiritual realm, there was nothing I could do to protect my kids from the devil, yeah. right? I, I I just couldn't do anything about it, and so I, you know, I had a little bit of church experience in my youth, and I thought, well, you know, we and you know, my wife's prompting. Well, we'll just get our kids baptized, and everything will be okay. But of course, that led us to the place of acknowledging uh, our own need for salvation and our own need for the lordship of Christ in our lives, and that's where we ended up. You know, through that through that seeking of help uh, to save our children from uh, the devil, uh, we we came into relationship with Jesus that way. So it was it was totally I was afraid, afraid, <laughs> and, and and unable to do anything about it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting the way you put that because I, I think some people they're very hesitant to talk about the devil because it just kind of sounds there. It's it's much easier to talk about God, right? And mm-hmm. and but I think that there's something very real about that when you said you know Vietnam and just all of the. Just images that you know only I could imagine, um, and, and you've seen like the horrors of it, you know the the worst of humanity, in, in so, some respects, um, that there is there's something very real about evil. And I'm just curious with the people that that you've worked with, whether it's at the rescue mission or just um, people, whether it's in, in your neighborhood that come to faith in Christ. What do you find more of? Do you find more of the context where I'm a good person and so I kind of need God to prove himself to me before I'm going to accept him? Or do you find more, uh, well, I'm just scared and I know I need God because my life's a mess. Like, what what do you find more of these days?
0: At the rescue mission, it's really a mixed bag. Um, but in the most for the most part uh, at the rescue mission, we encounter people who realize that that their life is in a shambles and they're desperately needy for help and and most of them have tried at least a few other options to get out of addiction to get help for mental illness to find a good job that they could keep you know they've, they've been around the circle and they can't get out of that rut they just they find themselves desperate and you know really when you come to the rescue mission that's the last stop yeah. you know you're on the street you're at the rescue mission one or the other so we find people mostly that are truly acknowledging their own uh, problems of life, whatever those are, and recognizing that as much as they've tried to turn things around, they haven't been able to do it. And so, and our approach is always, we, we pray our approach is always that we will build a friendship with every person that comes through our door as quickly as we possibly can. As, as soon as they'll let us become friends, we want to become friends. So we start by just treating people with respect mm-hmm. and love and offering good facilities, clean facilities, meals that are really good, You know, hoping that we can gain an opportunity to, through friendship, be able to sit down and have a conversation with the guests and let them know what the options are right here. And with that, a, a lot of the time, they're, they're willing and able to say, yeah, I want to try that. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to accept Christ that afternoon. But from that point on, the spiritual emphasis really kicks in. Mm-hmm. And, well, you volunteer with us so you know a little bit about that yourself, mm-hmm. that we, we want them to go to chapel. Uh, we, we invite them. First of all, we, we do an assessment together to say, how did you get here? What are your problems that brought you to homelessness? And with that, then we've developed a variety of programs that they can enlist into, and if they're using and abusing drugs and alcohol, we have an excellent residential drug and alcohol recovery program. If they have a mental illness, and about a third of all the homeless people you see on the street have an untreated mental illness, uh, we can help them in the house with our own mental health program. We use a contractor uh, for the professional side of that, but our case managers, you know, lead people into that and manage them through that program. We have an excellent academics program. So if you don't have a high school diploma or a GED, we can get you in uh, to the Learning Center and you can get your GED. And, and that will help you to find that good job. We have job preparedness classes. We do mock interviews with people. Uh, we can We can give you everything that you need. Uh, to get back into the worst workforce, including you know a sack lunch every day, bus tickets, a bicycle, uh, whatever it is that you have to have to get back to work, if work is your option. We also have seniors coming into the rescue mission uh, who should be collecting some kind of benefits, and maybe they have been, but they haven't been managing those, and so we've got a program just for seniors and how to manage their uh, Social Security or other retirement type income that they have and we can extend their stay with us so that they can save that money and uh, find that place to live and move out. Hmm. And we do that in every case. We, no One One of the beautiful things about what how we do our ministry is when you come in, you don't have an out date if you enlist into one of the programs of recovery. You, yeah, this you is
1: something to... very different, right, from like yes. some government-run programs, isn't it? Because I was looking at your website. That's That's very unique. It is very unique.
0: And and I'll tell you, there's another unique uh, part of our program, and that is women with children can come into any of our programs with their children. And that's also very unique. Most Mm -hmm. recovery programs, alcohol, drug programs, will not let a mom bring her children. But in our case, these moms and their kids have nowhere to go. I mean, there's no resource outside of us. And so we bring the kids with the mom, and we have a million programs for kids that are really, really good. Um, but anyways we most of the people that we encounter at the rescue mission are of that mindset. There are a few uh, there are a few who want to blame the whole wide world for all their problems and all they need is give me a few dollars and fill my tank with gas and I'll be right, fine. Right. You know. And sometime we'll do that. We won't yeah. give them money, but We'll yeah. fill their tank with gas and send them on their way.
1: It's interesting when I talk to um and talk to people that do not volunteer as much in this and there's, and there can almost be some sort of a, a cynicism so like you, you take pulling up to a stop sign right and there's a homeless person who's looking for money and oftentimes I'll, I'll hear christian sadly that will say well you know they're just they probably just have a car around the or, or you know r- around the area and they're just going to jump in that and they're just they're just taking advantage of you and, and i know sometimes i've been taken advantage of i know <laughs> i remember when we were in roanoke virginia we gave this lady i think it was like 50 bucks to help her like get in a motel or something like that and because she gave us this great story and then you know they were supposed to yeah anyways turned out to be totally false and you're like oh okay <laughs> but you know what like there's something yeah. also like i, I don't want to err on the other side right of just saying always being a cynic so uh, how,
0: how do you strike that balance um well in that i want to i want to say uh first of all that in in our community i can't speak for other communities but in this community there's no reason for anyone to be out there on the corner with any sign saying anything asking for your money. There's no reason for that person to be there because there are other agencies, we're the big one, but there are other agencies in the Valley who are totally dedicated to helping that person uh, overcome the problems that they're experiencing and we certainly do that. So it annoys me and in fact, we have a a standing order with all of our uh, guests That they will not panhandle in our neighborhoods because if we see them panhandling in our neighborhoods we're going to call them on it and it could cost them a loss of privileges because Mm -hmm. there is no reason for them to be out there we have we have the uh, ability in our house to help people at a large to a large degree and frankly we are connected to every agency in the state of Idaho that has anything to do with helping people. So regardless of what your problem is, if we can't address it in the house, we can connect you to the agency that can address it, and we can help you to get out of homelessness. Absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you right now that we see five to 600 people a year, every single year for the last several years, who came into the rescue mission homeless and went out of the rescue mission to live in their own place. Hmm. That's a fact. Wow. And we, ve- we follow those people for as long as they'll let us. You know, we stay connected. And so we know that uh, 85% of the men and women who go through our drug and alcohol recovery program stay clean and sober. And not just clean and sober, but they're getting involved in the church because that's a part of the program is find a church and get in there. So, you know, the the, uh, the results speak for themselves. People simply have to be willing and able to humble themselves, admit that they have a problem, going back to the 12 steps, I have a problem greater than myself, I need help to get out of this problem, and then let us help you, and uh, when folks will do that, they can have success. Giving money to the person on the corner is going to buy them immediate relief in one way or another, and it may be a good positive way or not but that's all it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you give money to the rescue mission or another agency that's helping people, we stretch those dollars out a lot farther than any individual can. For example, uh, to stay the night at the rescue mission, three meals and a night stay a, and change of clothes, hygiene products, everything that you need in a 24-hour period costs us less than $22. So that's the that's, that's, that's very
1: interesting, money. actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because so, I, I think I think that's
1: that's an interesting point, because I think sometimes we get a case of the guilt trip where we say, okay, it's the holidays, for instance, right? We're going to go out, and we're going to go and support someone. And honestly, probably part of it is we want to make ourselves feel a little bit better, right? So we say, sure. we're going to put this person up in a hotel, and we're going to do this and that. But then you just crunch the numbers like that. And, and I love the way you put that very practically, um, that by donating, whether it's to the rescue mission or if you don't live in this area somewhere else, that is able to stretch those dollars. It just
0: makes so much more financial sense, doesn't it? Well, it does. And when they come through our doors, here, here's a jingle that we created a few years ago for some campaign we did, a fundraising campaign. We offer real change, not spare change. Mm, it's good. And it's true. <laughs> you know, we offer real change. Yeah. And, and for the money that you invest with us, you're going to touch a lot of lives in a lot more positive way than that one person. Now, I've got to confess at this point, I have handed five or ten dollars to a person on the corner, yeah. just like you have. Yeah. And I want to say this for the record, that sometime the Lord is going to move in your heart. And exactly. You know, you know, yeah. you know, God is telling me exactly. that lady needs 20 bucks, and you're yep. going to give her 20 bucks. Yep. And I'm not saying don't do that when the Lord prompts you to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you're just doing it for the warm fuzzies, and I want to feel good tonight and smile as I drive away. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Send your money to an agency that's going to put it to work for good. Yeah. Because you will.
1: I love that. Talk about the process of empowerment. How do you empower people? Now, I know that there's a broad range of people that come into the rescue mission. But someone who's walking in and they're um, they're saying I, I, jobs are impossible to find, right? <laughs> and um, let's just take the person that is capable of working in, but for whatever reason, let's not blame it on them, but maybe life is just beating them up a little bit and they feel pretty like their self-esteem is at an all-time low. Um, What is the process of empowering a person like that to get to the stories that you shared earlier, earlier of people that go out and own their own homes? Mm
0: -hmm. Well, the process is, is very, very simple. And yet it's ultimately important. I started by saying we want to befriend people and that's number one. We want people to feel uh, comfortable with us, our staff, our ministers, so that they will talk about life, talk about the issues that have brought you to homelessness. How did you lose that good job? Uh, Just to have that conversation and we're always paying attention and taking notes a lot of the time so that we can then answer those issues with uh, the reality of If you join our job search program we're going to first of all we're going to go through this whole process with our educational component to find the job that you can do well now it may not be the job you want to have for the rest of your life but for right now this is a job you can do well and we give them those options and then they start doing a little bit of research on their own to figure out what that job really entails and do they want to give that a try and most people will. Those people that are ready, willing, and able to go to work, they're anxious. They want to go to work, and you give them. And and many of them have skills. Many of them have had a job and, and held a job, but you know they they don't have good life skills. They don't set the alarm. Uh, they don't pack the lunch the night before. They don't have work clothes ready, or they don't have work clothes that are appropriate, and uh, and they don't they don't take care of those minor issues. <laughs> small issues so we we help them in the job search program we help them to get ready to go to work that way coaching them up uh, telling them you know you need to do this now you'd be here tomorrow morning at 6 30 I want you in that door and I want you dressed for work and then they have to do that and if they don't do that then we find out why and we help them to to overcome the reason why so that the next time they are there at 6 30 And then we do mock interviews so that we work with Department of Labor, and they send people in, and the VA. They'll send people to our house uh, by appointment, and they'll uh, videotape an interview with a person uh, who's applying for a job in a mock interview. And then after the interview's over, they run the tape for our case managers there and the guest who's been interviewed. And they go through that interview, and they tell them, now, OK, John, don't pick your nose when you're talking to the prospective employer, you know, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, you know, sit up straight, you know, have yeah. good posture, make eye contact. OK, you should have never told them about that arrest in 1982 <laughs> because it doesn't matter anymore, you know. But really helping people to overcome yeah. those issues and keep them from being able to get a job. Mm. And then we sent them out and we sent them out with us with a with a reference from the rescue mission. Uh, that our program director or I will sign saying this person is staying with us. They've made an extraordinary effort uh, to get back to work. We we endorse them as a good employee. Here are the things that they've done that we know of and they can do. And And most of them right now, everybody finds a job. 35% of everybody staying with us tonight is working. And some of them are working two jobs. And the others who aren't working then you have to count in the uh, ladies with small children who are still learning how to be a mom and they're not looking for work and then you've got the elderly folks uh, who are looking for some kind of benefits that they're eligible for because they can't work and you've got people in the alcohol and drug recovery program who have to get sober before they can go to work so 35 percent is a pretty high number of the whole population uh, who are working right now today and once they go to work then we have a budgeting program that they're already signed on to so that with the first paycheck they know they're going to save this much they get to spend this much they have to pay their court fine their probation parole uh, you know costs if they have those other bills that they might have had when they came in uh, they have to you know they have to account for all of that and our case managers work really closely and we even have a bank account set up that they can put their money into through the rescue missions accounts and then we hold that money, it's at the bank, like our money is, and uh, they can get it out anytime they want to, but in order to get it out, they have to go to the case manager and tell them, I wanna take out money for this, and uh, if they agree that that's a good a good plan, we'll we'll say so and we'll give them the money. If we don't think it's a good plan, they're going to get their money, but they're also going to get a scolding that this is a terrible idea. And we'll predict the future. <laughs> hmm. If you do this, you're going to be sorry. Yeah. And uh, it might end up in them leaving. You know, they might they might choose to leave, uh, or we we might ask them to leave, depending what they want to do. Right.
1: It's interesting because I worked with uh, several organizations in Toronto, so Canada. So that's where my wife and I moved from. And, and yeah. some of those organizations, honestly, were just unbelievably frustrating where it was uh, – I think of some government-run ones where it was – Again, just throwing money at the problem, but nothing to the degree of what you're talking about. Certainly, you mentioned the number of 35%. I mean, that, that, that's an incredible number um, that just – and it's very it's very frustrating. And here's, here's one of the things that I'm just curious to get your take on. I'm curious as you teach life skills and you teach people how – like the basics of setting your alarm clock, following a budget, things like this um, – how does that translate to, to their spiritual life? And here's the reason that I asked that. Um, I find that sometimes if you encounter a person that their whole life is dependent on something else, where it's, okay, so someone else is setting this schedule for me, so I'm renting from here, I'm taking public transit, I'm on government subsidy. There can become this default way of thinking where everything I'm dependent on on someone else to fix my problems. And it makes it almost very hard to um, help someone like that, with that mindset, take initiative in their spiritual journey. So how do you see that translate into people's spiritual walk?
0: Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, it makes sense completely. And it's absolutely true. And frankly, uh, the younger people who we serve at the rescue mission, the, you know, in years of age, younger people, have more of that problem because they have many of them have grown up from birth in a system that everything was provided for them by some agency whether it was the government or health and well well the government generally uh, and it's really hard for them to, to overcome that and realize that I have to I have to work for myself uh, and with that the spiritual connection, so there again the spiritual connection is going to start the minute you fill out a, an application to spend the night with us because in the in the application uh there are a couple of questions that are directly related to your spiritual condition uh, simply put are you a christian yes or no uh have you attended church uh yes no Wh- which church um we are a Christian organization and we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Do you believe that? You know we ask them some specific questions. There's probably one or two more. And of course they don't have to answer that, but most will. And most will be very honest about it. So right from the beginning, we get a, a quick look into their into their spiritual background. And then as we get to do case management with them, then we can we, then we know uh, if they've already defined themselves as a Christian, there's going to be no question but that every time we sit down and chat, we're going to pray first. And you know, my people are are well trained and skilled, so that those prayers are planned in advance. So they're not just wild by the moment prayers. Uh, God help John, help John to understand the need that he has for this, or Susie. And we we make it specific. We pray for them, and we mean it. Of course, we're not you know we're not just repeating rote. We're praying for that person. So we, we go through this re, uh, relationship building with a spiritual connection so that they can start to learn for themselves. This this is how God operates. You know, in God's economy, you have you, you're supposed to be responsible for yourself and your family. And that's a huge hurdle for the men, I'll tell you that right now, mm-hmm. because so many of our men have abandoned their family because usually of drugs and alcohol and or criminal behavior. So it's hard for those guys to come to terms with the fact that they did do that. They failed and they failed miserably and people suffered as a result of that failure. So, you know, we're tuned up and and we understand that emotion so that when it starts to uh, come into conversation when we're starting to see that expressed, there again, you know, we can remind you God loves you in spite of that, okay? And God has a way to restore you. And I can tell you a hundred stories about how God has restored a man to his family by faith in Jesus Christ, by living the life, walking the walk, and proving themselves. Uh, they can reconcile with their family, and, and, and many do. I mean, it's a true story. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them do. I've seen the most remarkable people who have just destroyed relationships find the way back into relationship after they come to come to faith in Christ wow. and allow Him to be the Lord of their life. Not just the Savior, you no, know, hmm. Not just the Savior from hell thing, but the Lord of their lives. I've seen some unbelievable things happen in the lives of people.
1: Well, it's something I think we take for granted, isn't it? Because I, I think especially, I've noticed this in Idaho, it, the culture is so much different here than, say, like a place like Toronto, where... Um, it's there's just churches everywhere. There's, you know, there's so many opportunities to, if you don't like this church, go to this church. And I think in the midst of it, sometimes we lose our sense of desperation for God. We lose Mm -hmm. our, our, because we can hide behind our nice car, our nice lifestyle. And we lose kind of that sense of daily. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons I volunteer (laughs) is aside from the helping aspect. It does something for me because, Mm -hmm. um, I, I need that kick in the seat of the pants to, to, to say Ezra like you are a needy person. like you need God desperately and it's but it's just so easy to forget that. And I'm curious in your life like how, how do you maintain that level of desperation
0: for God? Oh. Well, first of all, I'm the CEO of a nonprofit organization that doesn't take any government funding. <laughs> That keeps. Me that helps. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a. I had a meeting this morning, and I had a meeting this afternoon, where my whole purpose in those meetings was to try to ask people for money. <laughs> <laughs> so, at least from that perspective, from the world of finance, I know how desperately needy I am uh, as the leader of this outfit. And uh, both those meetings went very well, by the way. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> um, but truly, you know, uh, that is something that's always in, in front of me. I have uh, a very large budget, and uh, we do have to fundraise. So we're always, uh, we're always fundraising. And my job is primarily uh, now involved with that aspect of the ministry. But I have four children, and, and now I have eight grandchildren. Had a new grandson born on the 8th of August. And my kids, as I mentioned earlier, were raised up to be Christians. I sent them to Christian schools. Uh, We went to church and Sunday school. They went to Mexico and built the house. Uh, When I started working at the rescue mission, they were totally involved in serving at the rescue mission. And yet, uh, two of my children are not in church and not interested, really, in church. Uh, one of them is uh, is experiencing all kinds of personal issues and problems in his life because of his neglect for his his relationship with God. And so from the personal perspective, I have that going on, and I know, uh, you know, but for the grace of God, if you will, these these two boys of mine aren't going to come back, and I want them to come back. And so that keeps me personally recognizing my need, not just to uh, not just to uh, talk to them and and love them unconditionally and try to lead them back, but to show them by my example, my own personal life, that this is how a man of God is going to look and live. So I have that perspective as well. And otherwise, uh, every every day at the rescue mission, you you come in there and you see what we're doing. Every day I'm there, and every day I'm reminded, of my own time in addiction. I'm reminded of my own time of dysfunction. Uh, I did five days in the county jail once. Mm. So I, I have that history. And by being in front of those people every day, and seeing their positive responses and seeing them change see that life transformation going on it just all works together you know and one of the questions on the paper you sent me was what inspires me that's what inspires me i get every day this morning i got to work and the first email that i opened was from one of my case managers telling me that he's walking through the hall of the rescue mission last night and encountered two men outside the restroom, and they were talking to each other, and he stopped and talked with them. They both asked him spiritual questions immediately. They are in a conversation, and he took the time to talk with them. And both of those guys accepted Christ right there in the hallway last night. Mm-hmm. You know, that is pretty cool. And to be a part of that and to, and to just have a part in that is such a blessing, and it fires me up, keeps me going. Yeah,
1: I think it's so exciting, and it's something that, again, I can't encourage People, if they're not volunteering at an organization like this, wherever you're at, um, like you need to because it, it. Okay, for nothing else, it just does something for you to be around stories like that. So I think, in some ways, it expedites process where when someone is is really at rock bottom, like there's a, there's that's when you're having real life conversations, and I, and I think so often in Western culture we can just hide behind all these different things that keep us from having all these real, like the deepest questions and conversations of life and and I just I think that's so powerful the um, question I, I have is what do you say to the person maybe they're listening on this podcast right now and they feel like they've wasted a good deal of their years so maybe 40 they're in their 50s 60s 70s and they're they're saying man like I wish I would have come to faith in Christ sooner but here I am I've accepted Christ maybe recently and I um, but I'm just, man, I have I live with all this regret. I'm sure you deal with a number of cases like that. So what do you, do, what do you say to a person like that?
0: Well, the, the truth of the matter is better late than never, right? So let's start right there, and let's just thank God that you've come to this place and you've made that decision. And so there's a lot of stuff in your past that you wish you could change, but you can't but what you can change is today and tomorrow and every day in your future so let's look at that and let's talk about that let's find places for you to be useful to God uh, whether you're working or not if you're retired whatever the case may be there are lots of things to do uh, for the Lord and it doesn't have to be vocational ministry as you know you 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 know you have people that you work with every day who they're not all pastors and ministers but there's a lot of things you can do, and and as we're as we're learning and growing in, in in God and in knowledge of the of the word of God, we understand that everything we do is for God. And so if you're the janitor at the elementary school you know, mop those floors like it's for Jesus, because it is, and be that good example, and let's see how many people you can encounter in the next six months that you can have an opportunity to tell about your newfound faith in God, and how that makes you feel, and how how good it is to know that you're going to go to heaven, that that you're in a relationship with God, and you might only have 20 years left, but you've got eternity in front of you, and that eternity is going to be spent with God in glory. That's a beautiful thing. So, I mean, you just have to pick them up where they are, you know, pick them up wherever they are. And I had a guy, his daughter brought him to our program. He was 72 years old and he'd been retired. He was pretty successful. He got retired. He always had a drinking problem, but when he retired, he became a full-blown alcoholic and he lost everything. He had a great pension. But he he would get his pension check and he'd bring his buddies over to the apartment and they'd drink it all up in a couple of weeks. And he was a wreck. And his health was bad by then. And his daughter brought him to the rescue mission and dropped him off. And she told him, don't call me unless you finish their recovery program. Don't call me ever again unless you finish that program. Pretty drastic measure. Yeah. He finished our program. And and the guy was seventy-two years old, and he was the nicest guy. You know, once he got sober and he got he got tuned up and he accepted Christ, he was the nicest guy. And he went on and he volunteered with us. He volunteered I think he drove for the Red Cross or something hmm. like that, did picked up blood and stuff. And I knew that guy for until I left that community, probably four or five years after he finished our program. He had a great life. He got his own place to live, he had good income, he gave money to the rescue mission, it was a beautiful thing. <laughs>
1: Oh, like full circle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, one of the things that I, I do is I work for a group, um, and they it's that interviews a number of leading physicians in the United States, and they'll interview them and ask them. You know, some what are the biggest. Questions and challenges that physicians, uh, medical physicians, are dealing with uh, these days, and one of the things that's interesting is is burnout is increasingly high among physicians, and you just hear this, I've heard this in, with numerous different professionals. And what's interesting, I, I think, in the nonprofit, parachurch world as well, and you certainly we're seeing this in the church world now today with COVID, there is uh, a high rate of burnout. And so I know, especially in working with people that have work such as you do in full-time uh nonprofit work um mm. that can take a toll on you and so how do you guard against that like w- how have you guarded against burnout in your life and what advice would you give for others that are on the verge of burnout
0: mm. well you know there have been there have been times in my ministry life that I have felt very weary and maybe that's what burnout looks like or how it starts, you know, just being weary. But I have to tell you that early on, I was really, really blessed to serve under men and women who, who really taught me to appreciate the fact that nothing I'm doing in ministry is, is of and by myself but that everything I'm doing in ministry is God-ordained and God-inspired and God-equipped. God makes me able to do the things that I do, and I've, I've, I believe that through and through. With everything in me, I believe that, and, and I learned that I can rejoice with those who rejoice, and I can mourn with those who mourn and weep, but I don't own either one of them. I might have some part, I hope I do have some part, in rejoicing and, and helping people find the way, get out, of, get out of the dark, into the light. I, I want to do that. But it's ultimately up to each of us individually to do that. I can give you the tools, I can give you the encouragement and the inspiration, but you have to do the work. You have to. And in recovery, there's nothing more important to impress on a person starting the recovery process than that message. You have to do the work. And so keeping that in mind and realizing that for all the hundreds of people I've known who've become very successful in recovery and and recovery from homelessness generally and broadly, um, and I had some part in some of that and good for me, that was a good thing. But uh, nonetheless, it was their work, and, and it was the move of God, the power of God, that made them able to do that. And so I can get, I can get my charge out of that, if you will. But, on the other hand, it, I've probably known a half a dozen people who have committed suicide. Uh, a few while they were in our programs, in, an, in our house, and a few who committed suicide afterward, Uh, who who had various issues that they never overcame and I don't own that I don't own that decision of suicide I don't I don't take any responsibility for it thank God I don't and I can say that honestly and with a clear conscience and heart because I know that everything we did and I did for that person was intended for their good was intended to bring them to the Lord, was intended to help them out of addiction, into, into recovery, out of homelessness, and they made choices uh, that were poor, ultimately the worst choice they could make as far as I'm concerned, and they took their own life. I've got people sitting on death row. One man in particular I know is on death row in San Quentin Penitentiary, and he was in our program and didn't quite finish, but did okay, but he left early, and it it was almost predictable in his case and he ended up getting involved in dealing drugs and he killed somebody in a drug deal and he's on death row at least he was i haven't checked in a long time but he was on death row in san Quentin penitentiary uh i don't own that you know i i did everything i could do to help him and we did everything we could do to help him and he made poor choices and he went he went down the wrong road and he paid the consequence for that and he has consequences for that So I try to keep that perspective, you know, I do what the Lord has led me to do and equipped me to do, prepared me and made me able to do, I do that, and I do that as best I can, and I find great satisfaction in doing that, and when someone goes all the way and gets over the hump and gets on into life and gets involved in the church, I've got a couple of, well, I've got more than a couple, I've several people that work at the Rescue Mission who are products of our programs. And now they're ministers in our rescue mission, helping other people like themselves. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. And we have a couple of others. I have one guy who's an evangelist in his church, and they sent him to Romania and all these places to preach the gospel. And he was in the program on the front street site of the Boise Rescue Mission back in 02 when I got here. Oh, wow. And today, you know, today he's a phenomenal man of God, and I just rejoice in that. I think it's—I know it—it's wonderful to be a part of that. And you just have to keep that balance. You know, you have to take credit for what's yours, but remember, most of it's not. <laughs> <Most> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good line. I like that. God. Yeah. All the credit goes to God. Yeah. And you just have a small part to play. And if you do it faithfully, you find peace in that and refreshing in that. So you know, I'm I'm having people encounter me now saying, "Well, Bill, your your retirement age. Uh, when you're gonna When you're gonna retire? What are you gonna do?" And I tell them, I have no plan to retire. I I love what I do. Uh, The people I I serve with are some of the most wonderful people that I just can't wait to see every day. Uh, The people that I serve in in the populations that we serve, I love those people, I love being around them, I love hearing their stories, I love the kids, and we got a bunch of kids that I can go play with. (laughs) And, you know, retirement for what? What would I do? (laughs) <laughs> I'd be bored Steph.
1: <laughs> well, so, it, it, you know, obviously, I'm speaking from a little bit of a younger generation here, but uh, it, it, speak to the—is there a, like a retirement myth? I think definitely, I I hear that among people my own age. Okay, well, we'll save up for this certain year, right? So we can retire. And the assumption is then we can have financial freedom and 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 do what we want um, for the person that is mid 60s and they're retiring and they're they're or they're close to that and that's kind of been their goal so they can travel the world and do um again why is that so fulfilling to you why well let me ask the question why don't you just retire and go and and just enjoy yourself for a while because you've given so much over the years that's probably what a lot of people
0: would say yeah well i guess i guess i would say again I just love what I do every day. I really, really do. There are very few days in my 30 years of rescue where I've said, Oh, I don't want to go down there. You know, Uh, very few. Uh, I enjoy what I do so much. And my wife is my my partner and uh, coach and and, uh, cheerleader. Uh, She appreciates how much I love this ministry. She's been retired. She retired about 10, 11 years ago. And, and she, you know, she's doing her retirement thing and having, she's in North Carolina with my son for the last month because she, you know, she could do that. Yeah. But, uh, I, I think as long as you're enjoying what you're doing and you're useful, you know, I, And I mean that Uh, the only thing I really worry about is being uh, getting to a point where I'm not useful, but I think I am, you know, Hmm. and where I'm slowing down things or I'm or I'm messing up things because my brain's not as sharp as it used to be or or whatever. And so that's 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 why I keep a lot of people around me in leadership who are way younger than me, way younger than me. Because I tell those people, now you keep an eye on the old guy here. You know, I, I'm going to try to do this with you or for you or, or you know, whatever the case may be. But uh, you know, you let me know if I'm dragging, if I'm dragging and and holding you back because I don't want to do that. And so far, no one's told me that. But they're all really nice <laughs> people too, so you know, they're probably lying. But that's okay. I'm living in this fantasy. <laughs> Best story but, of know, redemption.
1: <laughs> best best story of redemption you can recall.
0: Yeah, and you know I have a board of directors, uh, bright, wonderful, business-minded, spiritual-minded people, and they review me every year. Yeah. And every year at, at the time of review, um, they're very they're very honest, and I and I see what they tell me. And for the most part, I'm doing okay. <laughs> and as long as they feel that way, you know, I, I take confidence in that. And again, you know, it's not me, uh, you know it's Christ in me. It's the call of God in my life. and it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that I can do anything like this. I can't do how can I do this? I can't do this, you know? Yep. Uh, if it were up to me, it'd be a miserable failure. but the Lord makes me able and I get up in the morning and I sit right here and I got my Bible here and a couple books I read every day. I pray and I think and then I get up and go. Yep. and with that, I have the confidence that, Lord, I've asked the Lord to use me. I've asked Him to make me able, and then I go and believe that He's answering that prayer. Hmm. Well, what's the
1: best uh, the best story of redemption that you can think of you know, over your years at the Boise Rescue Mission? If you were to just pick one, or I might even expand it to two, but just as we close out.
0: Well, thank you. I, I saw the question, and and I. And I wrote down two names that I'll talk about, <laughs> but I thought to myself, only one, only two. <laughs> you know, I've got so many. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about a fella who has impressed me uh, immensely uh, over all the years of my ministry. So, in 1992, I, I had been at the Redwood Gospel Mission for a couple of years, and I left and went to the Denver Mission only for one year, and then a new director called me back to Redwood Gospel, and he he made me the direct program director. And so I started the New Life Program, the Drug and Alcohol Recovery Program at the Redwood Gospel Mission that year, 91. And I got a guy into my program whose name was Noble Flournoy. And Noble Flournoy was a tough guy. He had He was from Richmond, California, over in Oakland, Richmond, Bay Area. He had been a gangster, uh, legitimately a gangster. He had been in prison. He was about 40 years old at the time. He had been in prison for over half of his life. And in fact, when I took him into the program, my boss had been the director, assistant director at Richmond, and he knew the guy. And the morning we had our morning meeting, and I told him, by the way, I got a guy coming from Richmond today. His name is Noble Flournoy. And my boss leaned back in his chair, laughing his head off. And he said, Roscoe, Flournoy's going to kill you, man. That guy, you don't want that. You took that guy. What's wrong with you? Well, I had a bed open, and he needed a program, so I took him. But he had been in that program three, four times. He'd been in every program on the east side of the bay. He'd been in prison. He'd, he'd never been able to get off heroin or to be responsible for himself. Well, he came into our program, and he was, he was was he was a big man. He pumped a lot of iron at San Quentin and the other prisons. You know, he was buffed. He used to do uh, exercises and pound, uh, lift weight out in the yard at the rescue mission like nobody's business. And, uh, and he, was a, he was a very dynamic man. He had a strong personality and uh, good communication skills. He was, he was an exceptional junkie, really. And, of course, he was sober because he had just gotten out of prison again when I got him and uh, came into the program. I, I, I was a one-man gang. I didn't even have a, an assistant in those days. We were just starting out. So I spent a lot of time with him. I taught the two uh, recovery classes that we had. I taught at least one Bible study every day. And uh, I was the case manager. I was the whole show. So I got to know him really, really well, and, and he got to know me and we became friends he he really ultimately he became like a son to me while I wasn't that much older than him at the time but we we became good friends and so I persuaded Noble uh, to get his GED we had our very first GED program that year and he was in it and he was one of three or four guys that got their GED and that made the biggest difference in his life like I could not believe because he wasn't even finished with the GED course, but he was going over to the junior college and getting paperwork and looking at going to the junior college. And, and talked to me about that, and I said, Noble, you can do anything you want, brother. You just put your mind to it, and you can do it. Look what you're doing. You're doing great. You know, he's staying sober. He's doing all his casework in the program, and he's getting his GED. So he enrolled at Santa Rosa Junior College, and he went to college and uh, got his associate's degree. And at that same time, I became the director of the rescue mission up in Redding, California. And as I was getting ready to move up there and take that job, he came and asked me if he could work for me because he had already investigated and found out that he could go to Chico State and get his bachelor's degree. if And if he lived in Redding with me, that's geographically close. So he came up to Redding and he lived at the rescue mission and he was my night desk man. And he went to Chico and he got his bachelor's degree before he was out of college, he had a job with Shasta County Mental Health doing outreach to homeless veterans. I couldn't, I mean, what a remarkable thing, oh, and he married his this lady, he had a common law wife, they had kids together, been together like 18 years. He marries her, of course, in the process of all of this, so she comes to Reading with him, and they get an apartment, I co-signed for it, personally, and they <laughs> moved into their own apartment, and this guy became an elder at his church a leader in his church, a leader in the community, and just the most amazing Christian man that you ever want to know. So a few years later, I got over here, I came up, every year we have a graduation for our program members and uh, honor their commitment to graduating from our recovery program. And I invited Noble and his wife to come up and be our keynote speaker, and he did. And I couldn't, I've never been so proud and so blessed in my whole life as I sat in the audience and listened to this man inspire my program graduates with what life could be if they just stay the course. And he says that I kept telling him, noble no matter what, never give up. And hmm. so he closed his he closes remarks that way. I was balling. I'm ready to ball right now thinking about it. And what a wow. wonderful, wonderful testimony. Can you imagine? Here was a guy that had spent half his life in prison addicted to heroin uh, almost that whole time and all of a sudden he finds faith in god he finds people that will give him a hand he takes advantage of it and the rest is just a beautiful story unfortunately he passed away this year he he had cancer and he passed away about three months ago his wife called me to tell me but she also told me this she said bill Noble left me in a great, great position. He had great life insurance. He had, he has a good pension from the state because he worked for the state. And he said, and she said, his daughter is being ordained this weekend, and she's going to conduct his funeral next week. Wow! I mean, that's that's the icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. I I just can't believe what God did in his life. It's so amazing.
1: Well, it's so. That's such an incredible story, and I think that it highlights the difference between just organizations that help, you know, say they help the poor or they help those that are, are going through a tough time to those that, like yours, that genuinely bring transformation. And, and it's just it, – when you get down to the nitty-gritty parts of it, like that story, I mean, yeah. that's where it just becomes so real because you're not just throwing money at, at a project. You're, like, investing in a person, and that's just oh. – That's pretty exciting, isn't it?
0: (laughs) It really is.
1: Yeah. Well, Reverend Bill, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to connecting in person before too long.
0: I hope we can do that, Ezra. We know we're neighbors, so let's be friends. (laughs) You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.